when I'm saying microdose with our products, it's starting to not contradict, but say, hey, the state says to you, 10 milligrams is a serving, which that's not my serving. I love what you've said. That is an overdose for many people. So obviously they had to put a stake in the ground, but really say, no, 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 you should be able to have a five milligram. So our fruit notes launched at a five milligram. And then we were also trying to get into the space where we were able to curate or use language to help curate what our consumer should expect to feel. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And if you tuned into last week's episode, you heard me teasing about being out of the country. So in order to prepare for this week's episode, I had to do a little batch introductions. So there isn't really, unfortunately, much to report on at the moment other than getting straight into the episode today. Just as like a housekeeping, kind of like behind the scenes, I am recording this before jetting off. Like by the time you hear this, I will be back. But right now recording it transparently, I am wrapping this recording intro up and then I'm going to go pack for the trip. So certainly lots to get done and just want to kind of keep things transparent with you guys. But basically... I apologize, there is a more industry news shared or updates about the trip just quite yet because I haven't actually gone on the trip by the time I'm recording this. So it is what it is and just a friendly reminder to follow along the adventures on social media. That's where you're going to see actual details about the trip. And I, of course, will make an official update and wrap up the exciting opportunity that I had here on the podcast soon. So thank you so much. I do appreciate your understanding. It is so time consuming how much work has to get done between episodes, especially releasing things weekly. And I try to record my introductions as fresh as possible in order to share with y'all the most up-to-date industry news and insights. And of course, with traveling, it just shortens the time I actually have to execute these things. So I hope that sheds some light on the actual podcast production side of things, as well as my intent to deliver the best quality and most informative episodes for your listening and viewing pleasures. With that said, today I am joined by Lauren Gockley, the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Coda Signature. Lauren co-founded Coda, a Colorado-based brand in 2015, and personally has a background as a classically trained chocolatier turned cannabis-infused product visionary. Lauren taps into her rich background in Michelin-starred restaurants and European patisserie to craft infused confections renowned for their artistry, consistency of experience, and unparalleled fine ingredients. She is responsible for driving product development and refinement, establishing best manufacturing practices, managing supply chain dynamics, 
and maintaining strict quality standards across all product lines. With that, we discussed what innovation looks like to Lauren and her team when it comes to product differentiation. They established themselves originally as a chocolate-based brand, and as they've progressed over the years, they've evolved most recently in the last couple of years to include a pat de fuite which Lauren says way more professional and elegantly in our episode. And they've also ventured into topicals. So another thing that we touched on that that I thought was really interesting, and I'm curious what you think of that part of our discussion, but they have some products that they have released that are really, really microdose. So I'm talking just like one milligram of THC. And that conversation was so timely because I've been having other conversations with other industry peers and just even non-cannabis friends discussing, you know, what is a dose? And so of course, my conversation with Lauren stirred up some curiosity around, you know, why do we have 10 milligrams as a standard dose? And how does breaking that down into micro doses as a loose term really get defined in our industry because I find that so many of the regulations that we have to, you know, build our businesses and products around is really subjective. And so that for me was a really interesting takeaway that, like I said, I'm really curious what you guys think about microdosing and about dosing in general and how those products get delivered and communicated and marketed towards consumers. Of course, talk about how they take those products, which are very different in the marketplace compared to five milligrams or 10 milligrams and have those conversations with bud tenders and dispensaries and consumers to ultimately get those products in the hands of consumers. But it really is a conversation that I think Coda has excelled at innovation from a dosing perspective. And so tying that up and understanding how they've navigated kind of driving that conversation in the marketplace and lots of insights were shared. So all around good discussion, talking to one of the first operators in Colorado recreational cannabis, and we were able to get a pulse on what it was like for her and her team over the years as they've expanded and retracted into new markets. They did explore going into California. California. We discussed what it was like, why they went into California, why they pulled out of California, and also kind of what's on the horizon as they are looking at other states that have recently come online. So certainly lots to learn from Lauren and her years of experience navigating the Colorado cannabis market as well as other emerging markets in the United States. By the way, you can watch the video version of this episode on my YouTube channel. If you want to search Shada Trabi, you'll see my episode with Lauren. I'm also going to link the video in the show notes below if you want to click and watch the video version. And if you like video versions of these episodes, please give the channel a subscribe so you can be alerted when new ones get released. And more importantly, be alerted when we go live so you can watch these interviews in real time. That's all I have for today's intro. Like I said, I am traveling in between kind of pulling all these things together to make these episodes go live every Monday for y'all. So thanks for tuning in to another episode. I'm happy that you're here. Excited for you to listen to my conversation with Lauren. So now let's get straight to the episode. Please join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Lauren to the show. Well, Shada, thank you so much for having me on your show. Really, really appreciate what you're doing in the markets you know, just nationally. So really, really excited to be able to participate and always love talking to a fellow Texan. So that always, you know, makes it even more exciting. That's right. I, you know, by trade, am pretty much a pastry chef. I 
spent a good number of years in restaurants, some in manufacturing, but really have a huge passion for the culinary side and specifically pastry and, and chocolate. It's, I joke around that chocolate is my love language. So, Mine too. Yeah, all right. So I worked with, you know, at some phenomenal chefs, both in, in Houston, where I'm from, and in New York, where I lived for about seven and a half years. I also had the amazing opportunity to go abroad to France and study with some chefs there kind of early on in my career. So really taking kind of the hands-on approach to education. I did not go to culinary school. And I just, I really feel like some of the best ways to learn is just, you know, diving in. And I think that is not only a lesson for my career, but I think it's such an important lesson for, you know, the cannabis industry as well, because we were not college educated to go into cannabis. <laughs> so, you know, working in the restaurant space and kind of the conventional side of confection for a number of years and was really just was not finding a way to adequately express myself through food. And it was probably like late 2014, my partner and fellow co-founder, Brian, you know, introduced me to a cannabis edible and had not really had a ton of experience with cannabis growing up. It really just wasn't something that I kind of connected with. But I, I started to see that, okay, well, here's my connection. Here's my bridge. All of a sudden now, people are able to consume cannabis in a way that I can identify with. And, you know, this edible that he brought was really delicious and well-packaged. And I just, a light went off in my head. I often say that the clouds parted and, you know, I just knew immediately that there was an opportunity here. And creating chocolate or confection has just always been kind of one side to this coin. And there's always been kind of an additional element to what I do that wants to bring about a better experience, better quality of life, you know, elevating it to some other level that goes beyond just, you know, consuming, you know, a, a truffle. And, you know, in New York, I spent a good number of years as a raw vegan chocolatier. So really dipping my toe into how chocolate can be healthful, really beneficial for wellness, and just immediately saw that connection with cannabis. So kind of recognizing that I wouldn't really be able to do it on a legal basis ongoing in New York. So picked up early 2015 from New York City and moved to Trinidad, Colorado, which is a population of about 8,000 people. So there was a bit of a jolt when it came to, you know, <laughs> culture. But, you know, just moving to Colorado with that just determined mindset and level of enthusiasm and overwhelming excitement. I mean, it was and still is, you know, this adventure that we're all on in this cannabis space. I mean, we are, you know, treading new grounds every day. And that was just such a, yeah, energizing time to be able to, to kind of pave that road, not only for Coda, but, you know, continuing to participate in the Colorado market as well. So we spent about a year in Trinidad or excuse me, in Colorado before we launched developing products, obviously really wanting to create a strong foundation for the business, developing our mission, vision, and, you know, most importantly, our core values as a company, meeting our future partners, our bud tenders, our dispensary owners, getting to know the markets, and being incredibly thoughtful in the decisions that we were making to get into this space. And, you know, it was, I often credit it to timing because I think the Colorado market was a year old, you know, the consumers were starting to, I think, get excited and a little bit more comfortable with cannabis as part of their everyday lives. 
And, you know, there was an opening to create something not only beautiful, but incredibly delicious. And, you know, it was about three weeks into being in the market. We won the High Times Cannabis Cup for Best Edible with our Crescendo Truffle Collection, which was really, really exciting. I'll never forget going to the High Times Award Show. And needless to say, it was the first event of its kind in my experience. Oh, and I'm sure. <laughs> Cypress Hill was performing. And I mean, it's a, the kind of cloud of smoke was intoxicating, both literally and figuratively, but so fun. And, you know, the cannabis culture in Colorado has just been so welcoming you know, so excited. And I, I appreciate that you even used the word humble, you know, earlier. It's a very humble market too. And in, in the sense of, you know, everyone gets to participate from, you know, as a brand and as a consumer, it's, you know, similar to the cannabis culture as a whole, it's a very inclusive environment. And it really translated from a business standpoint. And, you know, we've been operating in Colorado since, you know, 2015. And have come up with a number of not only edibles, but, you know, also dipping our toe into topicals as well, which has been a lot of fun. You know, again, just kind of continuing to round out that cannabis experience. And yeah, I mean, it's just been, I, I always call it a, a world-class education without necessarily having to apply to a college, but just incredible people, incredible opportunities to learn and grow. And it just, there's not an end in sight, right? For what we're doing. I, we're still even though, you know, we, we say things like, oh, it's been seven years, like, oh, it's still, we're still so nascent in this space, which is just an incredible mindset. I, I have to remind myself of that sometimes just to remember how much of an impact we still get to have in the future of this industry. Super grateful to hear your background because I do think, you know, it's important for me to highlight my unique guests backgrounds in particular, because I think people especially listen to this podcast because they want to get into the cannabis industry or they want to grow or scale their business. And there really is no one explicit. I mean, you're talking about, you know, not coming from a traditional educational opportunity of cannabis. And then obviously feeling like being in the industry is an education in and of itself. And I know now that I see too, and I work with a couple different individuals and universities where you're seeing cannabis programming actually be come available to students. So it's super exciting to see the I guess, scale of opportunity open up for cannabis in all these different facets of opportunity, you know, education, business, just types of business. But especially coming from your background, culinary wise, patisserie wise, I think that is so fun because obviously food is is so accessible to so many people. Like you could put a piece of chocolate in front of somebody and they kind of like, you know, understand what it is. And then to be able to use that as a token of, of also expressing and introducing cannabis to somebody that form factor is obviously very popular in the industry now kind of at large. And I would even say, you know, going into some of the legacy kind of markets, both historically and just underground, you know, people making pot brownies, people putting, you know, cannabis in things that you're going to digest and eat. We know cannabis is fat soluble. So obviously products that are, you know, more in line with that are, are going to be more effective. But I want to really, you know, kind of crack open your journey from Operating in Colorado in 2015, that was about, you know, a year into Colorado opening up the rec market. I wanted to spell a couple of myths. I love getting to talk to some of the legacy operators in Colorado because I think to me, and now knowing that you're operating, not operating, I should say, you personally live in New Mexico. Your business is in Colorado. New Mexico also just went online. And for most of my listeners, they probably understand that every market does have a different, you know, regulation and setup, licensing structure, things like that. But 
from your experience kind of watching this happen, what is the market like presently where it might have started out in 2015? I mean, I think people's assumption is it's really easy to get a license in some capacities and in other situations, it's much more difficult to get a license. And I'll also kind of throw in an add-in because we were talking about it before we hit record. You did introduce CODA into the California market. You're no longer operating in California. So if you can kind of tie in that a little bit too of you know, scaling your brand in Colorado? What was it like getting a license? What was it like going and getting a license in California? Do you see opportunity as easier in some states over another? I know there's obviously licensing plays. There's opportunities where people are actually going and setting up their own manufacturing in these new states. So I'm just curious, you know, kind of take us back to what it was like when you were first dipping your toe into the wild, crazy world of cannabis. And now, you know, kind of what does that landscape look like as you, you know, navigated the last seven years? I like to use this phrase because I think it kind of shows the amount that has happened in, you know, seven years that, you know, one year in cannabis is like seven dog years. So, you know, an industry has kind of evolved so quickly, you know, where we were, the conversations that we were having, you know, seven years ago, it was a very different market for a number of reasons, but it was a key aspect to, you know, how it is that we are making decisions now. So in Colorado, they had a, a reputation of being really open to new businesses, new opportunities. So I felt as though the licensing process, of course, had a couple of hurdles, but really, I think it was, it's a state and in Trinidad in particular, a city that was very hungry for the commerce. You know, Trinidad is it's a small town, like I said earlier, you know, a little bit more conservative in a lot of ways, folks that have been living in Trinidad their whole life. And one of the things I, I thought was a really important kind of element of cannabis, that it wasn't just about the legalization in order to freely consume. It is an opportunity for towns like Trinidad that are oftentimes called very boom and bust, from coal to natural gas, to have this business come in and really elevate their current status from just buildings that were abandoned or needing repair. And so a lot of the, and I remember we were at a city council meeting and the chief of police, who again is a longtime resident, said that this was a huge opportunity for Trinidad to not only bring in a new community, but to kind of give a huge facelift to the town, which is incredibly beautiful and, and unbelievable architecture, great culture, so that, you know, it could give Trinidad an opportunity to kind of to get back on its long term and build more kind of sustainable businesses during that time. So, you know, the cannabis space coming into these different towns and cities really to, yeah, just improve overall growth. And to revitalizing these cities. Revitalizing. That's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's helping improve the economy. And yes, the economy from tourism to, you know, a new generation coming in from other parts of the state or, you know, country. So it was just a very exciting time to kind of be in this space and in this town and state that we're, we were all kind of holding hands, navigating together. And that was very, very important that we all knew that about ourselves and that very quickly can dispel competition. You know, our success is the industry's success. You know, our failure is the industry failure. And we were too young and still are to be anything but collaborative with each other from state to state to dispensary to dispensary and to manufacturer to manufacturer. We are in this together. And so at the time, you know, there were significantly less states that had you know, legalized in some form or fashion. And so the thinking was, 
we would go into other states and build manufacturing facilities, really hold on to, you know, the control of that process, which is super important, obviously, to maintain quality. But what that meant was, you know, an immense amount of capital being allocated for that brick and mortar kind of plan. So, you know, as the industry has grown from an accessibility standpoint, opportunities have popped up as well when it comes to, we don't have to do that. We don't have to go into every state and over invest in kind of the industry where we know there are experts that are there to support us to do it as well. So kind of coming back to California, I think we were still very much so of the mindset that we needed to build in order to grow. So, you know, that was in 2019. We had just a a phenomenal facility in Oakland. And then there were just a couple of really challenging events that took place. Obviously, the pandemic was one that, you know, was challenging to navigate for sure. The California market is still proving, I think, to kind of find its groove to make it a little bit more kind of to be more in alignment with the needs of a cannabis business. It's also a market that's been, you know, legal in some form or fashion for well beyond, you know, the Colorado market. I mean, that's the OG legacy for sure. So, you know, how does that regulated market kind of blend with this previous market that was regulated, but it was a different mindset? That was, I think, one of the more authentic medical markets, the the patients to, I'm going to forget the name, just very focused on the patients. So it was, you know, digging into a market that had just legalized. And as huge as that state was, it was not apples to apples with Colorado legalizing and California legalizing. So a couple of different elements. And we just realized California is an incredibly important market, but it's not a market I think that we are probably ready to get into at this stage. And wanting to put our resources into some of the newer markets that may be, that have a little bit less, I think, complexity inherent in their state, as opposed to, you know, California, which is, I think, what is it, like the fifth largest economy in the world? I mean, it's a huge landscape to navigate, and I do not envy the regulators in that state by any means. So it was just, again, with any opportunity like that, just a wealth of information, a wealth of learning opportunities. And, you know, we are so strong because of that. But just a huge shout out to our California team who was amazing, so dedicated, and made that whole experience incredibly valuable. No, I really appreciate you sharing that transparency. It's obviously, you know, kind of the meat and the heart of of this podcast and also just who we are as humans. I think your point, you know, we're stronger because of it. And I think addressing these things, not as setbacks, but as learning opportunities and really trying to, I think my goal with the podcast is to help people really dissect the opportunity that exists. And part of that is, you know, obviously trying to learn from others so you don't have to make those same mistakes, but also realizing and strategizing what is the best direction to go. And you were bringing up another point that I think is so important just to kind of remind ourselves, reiterate, which is the industry that we see today is nowhere near where we're going to be in a year, five years. And so kind of investing and also adjusting for those complexities is really unknown in a lot of regards. And so just because something, you know, operationally might work in one state in one setting, transferring that over to another market is a completely different realm. And 
obviously there are certain brands who I think people could point out on a national level who have succeeded or are attempting to succeed in a multi-state operator, you know, fashion. But it also is still so new that I think we just really don't know how the market's going to kind of settle out. And I think I love speculating on the podcast. That's kind of one of my favorite things to do because I have all these great guests with all these great experiences and we still don't have federal legalization. It's like, well, what does federal legalization look like? And I think the more that I, you know, start to etch away at some of this stuff, I'm realizing I don't really personally see the federal government flipping a switch and opening up interstate commerce and allowing all these brands just to you know, freely pass their products across borders. And you're looking at the investments that brands like yourself are having to make in your own state, build that infrastructure, set that up. Your state obviously wants to retain some of that economy. And I think, you know, just some of the other guests and conversations I've been having, which I encourage you, I welcome you to kind of chime in if that, you know, kind of makes sense for you. But the observation is not just Colorado, but the market as a whole is fluctuating just because you're seeing no longer do you have, and using Colorado as the example, Colorado being this, you know, island of legalization, you have now Oklahoma and New Mexico and Arizona coming online that's pulling some of that money, pulling some of those resources, that interest. And so it is still such a evolving kind of, you know, foundation that we're trying to build, obviously, longevity on. And so I don't know if you want to add anything to that, but that's just kind of some of the observations that I've started to realize, especially as a Texan, where people are, you know, when's when's legalization going to come? What's that going to do? It's like, we need every state to legalize in some fashion before you see stability where it makes sense for these brands to start to grow. It's interesting because like just another kind of moment on the timeline, you know, 2018, I mean, you could not keep the cannabis industry down, right? I mean, you, you were having these right. billion dollar valuations. I mean, I think we were all you know, for a really like a better way of saying it, you know, drinking this Kool-Aid, like, well, we can't be stopped. It's the famous last words of, you know, right before the, the bubble bursts. Absolutely. So there was, you know, that aspect of where, you know, legalization was just on the horizon and all these companies, I mean, Canada legalizing federally. I mean, it just, there was such optimism that fuels your decision-making as well. And then, of course, when the pandemic kind of got into full swing, there was a definite interesting and then, of course, now we're really kind of seeing that, you know, the long hauler COVID symptoms, you know, not just physically, but just economically. And then I think you're 100% right to say that with the number of legal markets coming online, you know, not only is the kind of the novelty wearing off a bit, but, you know, access is, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like we want that an immense amount of access and acceptance. But now in Colorado, we're seeing a decline that we've never seen before. And it's just right now, it's going to be your perspective on it, right? And we could panic and say, well, what are we going to do? You know, this is unheard of. It's like, or to say, this is the innovation opportunity, right? This is how we as not only a market, but, you know, we as individual manufacturers or businesses, this is how we come up with the next, the next chapter of cannabis in Colorado, but in this country, because we are the model. You know, we've been, Colorado has been this model for so many years. And my hope is that there is an opportunity for kind of similar to how we learned in California, how other, you know, young markets will learn about, I think the number one lesson in cannabis is build flexibility into your business first and foremost. You know, 
and I kind of come back to brick and mortar, I mean, you are literally digging, you know, roots into the ground and finding ways to still be able to pivot. I mean, because we know that a regulation can change or packaging could change. I mean, the hemp side of that, that the whole kind of another really important part of the cannabis space, but even, you know, legalization around hemp derived products in the market. And when it comes to federal legalization, seven years ago, I would be like, absolutely. Well, yes, yes, 100%. And now, you know, I think it's important to make steps in that direction. But again, to your point, like the complexity, the kind of, I think there's potential for tampering of innovation, but that doesn't stop businesses, manufacturers for preparing for that day. How do we prepare for federal legalization, decriminalization, you know, we as edibles, an edibles manufacturer, you know, how do we ensure that we're following, you know, FDA regulations or OSHA regulations, all these federally, you know, federal agencies that don't kind of mess with us, but they still do in kind of this weird way. I know exactly what you're saying, though. (laughs) There's a lot of self-regulation that's involved. I mean, you, you are oftentimes accountable to the standards that you set for your business. That's challenging. That, again, kind of coming back to the very early months of being a business, like the core values are going to be our driving factor, our decision-making process. Does this align with our core values as a company? And I think it's kind of a funny thing because cannabis seems to be these days, one of the only things that really gets people out to voice an opinion. I love kind of quoting this statistic. This is from BDSA. I want to say it was from maybe early 2022 that 73% of the country is bought into cannabis in some form or fashion. And I mean, when ever in this country has there been, I'm sure there's plenty of times, but that much support for something. I mean, and I should say currently that 73% of this country is in agreement that there is opportunity in cannabis. They may not consume it, but they're not opposed to it. And, you know, I'll quote a former coworker of mine, you know, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And say that all the time. I'm like, you can't put the cat back in the bag. It's like, it's already out. So now that you know it's out, how do you adjust given that it's not going to ever go backwards? It's just got to be more, unfortunately, I think, regulated and controlled. Exactly. And that's where, you know, it adds additional complexity that every state that you go into will have different regulations. You'll have a different cannabis experience because you're tasting a different product. All the way from the seed to the sale, your cannabis experience isn't going to be consistent, which is frustrating from a manufacturer perspective. How do we make coffee and donuts in Colorado the same way we'd make it in Illinois? But I wouldn't trade that, I think, for what could be, again, kind of this tampering of the opportunity for the cannabis legacy to still have her voice, to really still be able to celebrate the plants in its, you know, as much as we can, its most natural form and get as many advocates for that as possible. And I think the natural approach to drug consumption is just exploding before our eyes. I mean, obviously, you know, from mushrooms, I know it's a whole other topic, but I mean, it's just people's openness to this type of, for lack of a better word, medicating is just, again, a different kind of excitement from, you know, seven years ago. But now it's like, this is going to change the world. 
<laughs> That's a big statement, but no, it's a it's a massive statement, but it is in line with what I expected to again, like I think part of these conversations is like, hmm, like what do I believe to be true or what opportunity do I, you know, consider is out there? And these conversations are so good in helping me frame my beliefs. And obviously the reality is, you know, part of it is like you gotta get your your hands dirty, you gotta roll your sleeves up, you gotta, like you're saying, plant the roots, you gotta do something knowing that. The industry is constantly changing. That doesn't mean you shouldn't lean into it. It's just, you know, to kind of use some very, you know, good buzzwords that I feel like we talk about so much on the podcast, but it's needed innovation, pivot. You kind of have to subscribe to that. And so I feel like, you know, sometimes it's getting beaten like by a dead horse of why do you just keep bringing up you got to be comfortable with change? It's like, because if you do not change in this industry, you will not survive in this industry. And it's just, you know, like you're bringing up, like if you don't change your packaging when regulation changes, like your packaging no longer is then going to be valid. Therefore, you're not going to be able to sell those products. And so it just puts you in a pattern of if you don't continue to adjust with what is being presented to you, you're not going to be operational. And I also bring up a lot on the podcast. So listeners, you probably hear this a ton, but you have to, you know, be prepared for the change to happen. You want to be proactive versus reactive to some of these things happening. So yeah, how do you self-regulate? How do you lean in? How do you kind of like project what is next? And so given that, you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about your products, and so I want to now get into some of your products, obviously manufacturing, you're bringing up the idea and to kind of further clarify it for listeners or for people watching, when you're talking about manufacturing products, obviously Colorado is at a different elevation. So when you are creating formulations for things, just even baking in general, like excluding cannabis as the ingredient, that is going to take different curing times or temperatures and degrees and different components that if you are going to make those products in another state, in another environment, can have different complexes that you'll have to adjust for. But you also started out with chocolate, you're doing gummies, and you're also doing topicals. So I want to talk about the kind of innovation of your product line you know, kind of chocolate, obviously, again, like we were bringing up in the beginning, very traditional cannabis, it kind of makes sense. I think gummies similarly to that, right? I think when you're looking at the data and you're bringing up some of these great analytic companies, as much as people want to go make crazy new innovative products, people still, I mean, even with our business on the hemp side, we've gotten, you know, even lollipops, not super fringe, but they don't sell like my gummies sell or like my chocolate sells. And so it's an interesting kind of dilemma that we as an industry are putting ourselves, maybe the consumers are just, you know, validating, hey, great, you made mints or whatever, but just stick to your chocolate, stick to your gummies. But the point I wanted to make, you know, you have certain products. This is your Twilight Pomegranate Fast Acting Microdose Fruit Note. So I know this is a new product you guys have recently launched, these fruit pâtés, which you can please be more specific with your background and obviously your products. But the interesting thing and it's interesting to me because I was just talking to somebody about this. I think this is a bigger conversation. So sorry for kind of like we're no. vomiting all this stuff at you and at the audience. But I think it's so interesting. Microdosing is a term that I think has many different applications. Usually I've seen microdose two and a half milligrams, five milligrams, but you have products that are one milligram. And so the conversation I was having with someone was in line of, maybe we're overdosing ourselves. Like maybe there is a better dose for us to be operating at consistently on. 
because obviously we've all had those stories of, oh my gosh, I ate the edible, especially me in Colorado, like 2015, 2016, where there was, you know, lack of regulation in terms of how the products were homogenized. I remember getting an edible and eating one and I felt nothing. Eating the second one in the packaging felt really, really high. So obviously the industry is getting better at those types of things. But now that we can be so dialed into the control of how many milligrams we're consuming, especially with new customers coming on line, coming into, you know, exploring cannabis. I literally had the thought I should do in this, like, just like a sidebar. I want to make some content where it's me just like taking one milligram at a time. Like this is me on one milligram. This is me on two milligrams because I really don't think we as an industry slash consumers really understand the granularity of those doses and the subtlety, but effectiveness. So again, a lot of kind of, you know, thoughts in that question comment, but you have a wide range of products. You're touching edibles, so consumption as well as topical, and then getting into innovation, you know, kind of what is driving you navigating from some of these different categories and ultimately ending up with this new product where you're you're really going into, I think, redefining what a microdose is. I love all of what you're saying. And it does, I think you're really creating a lovely roadmap in terms of how our products evolve. And, you know, again, seven years ago, you know, part of that innovation, you know, journey was, okay, well, we're going to create a product that where has flavor being a priority, has quality of ingredients being a priority, packaging, huge aspects to, you know, any business, any, you know, consumer product, but wanting to have, then you, you kind of touched on it earlier, like some level of familiarity so that people can just connect to it and feel a little bit more, you know, that there's a little bit more safety is not quite the word, but just have a more of a connection to it. So innovation and packaging has really just skyrocketed, but we wanted to create a box that people recognize as a chocolate box or, you know, a, a truffle box. And then, you know, as kind of we evolved and looking at, to your point, like the gummy market is just outrageously huge. You know, in some markets, it could be as high as 80% of edibles sold are gummies. And seeing that, you know, wanted to figure out a product that fit into our brand, but was also tapping into this, you know, huge sector of the industry. So, you know, traditionally chocolatiers, and that's what I call myself, a chocolatier, you know, they have in their repertoire, a kind of a fruit confection called patoufoui, and it is pretty much fruits, sugar, and pectin. And so really realizing that our gummy was actually already there. The French-inspired patoufoui was how Coda would get into the gummy sector while still being, you know, true to the true to our brand. But again, like just bringing flavor to the forefront, quality of ingredients. And then this is where we wanted to be a little bit more vocal about the microdose. And when I'm saying microdose with our products, it's starting to not contradict, but say, hey, the state says to you, 10 milligrams is a serving, which that's not my serving. I love what you've said. That is an overdose for many people. So Obviously, they had to put a stake in the ground, but really say, no, 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 you should be able to have a five milligram. So our fruit notes launched at a five milligram. And then we were also trying to, you know, get into the space where we were able to curate or use language to help curate what our consumer should expect to feel. Because that's the other side of edibles, right? And you kind of reference it. I take one. I don't feel anything. I take another. I get way too high or... I take it and I fall asleep or I can't sleep, you know, this kind of Russian roulette, so to speak, with a bag of gummies. And that it was a huge hurdle and still is a hurdle. You know, we're, we have not completely solved for that 100%. But that's 
part of this innovation journey is getting edibles to the point where, number one, you're having the same experience every single time. But number two, I can choose the experience that I get to have every single time. So we started to integrate minor cannabinoids into our fruit notes and CBD in particular, which I think has just as a minor cannabinoid in this industry has really opened up people's eyes. And when I talk about that 73%, I mean, I think CBD really brought people in. And to your point, you know, about your just tragic experience with your accident, like just how that kind of started to crack this stereotypical mold of what consuming cannabis was, who that, who you were as a person by consuming cannabis. So we started to integrate CBD to have more of a, you know, curated experience. And then, you know, as our fruit notes kind of continued to evolve, more cannabinoids coming onto the market. And then, of course, really trying to tackle the onset time and the idea that you shouldn't have to wait one to two hours to consume an edible because that's the line that leads up to almost 90% of every bad experience with cannabis. I didn't think it was working, so I took another one. and you know, long story short, you know, we have some not great experiences. So I'm asleep over there on the couch (laughs) or worse (laughs) or worse. Also playing in this field that this is a new drug for so many people. This is a new experience for so many people. And when I use the word drug, I'm using that as just because the FDA kind of uses drug in a way that's, it's something that it's going to change your mindset, change your physiology in some way. So how do we, kind of connect with our consumers who, you know, unlike alcohol, where you've probably been consuming alcohol since, you know, you were a young person and you know a lot more about how your body reacts to it than how your body's going to react to cannabis. So how do we help our consumers put on their science hat? And, you know, to your point, take one gummy, one milligram. How do I feel? What did I eat today? You know, that's a big lift for our consumers. So being able to provide, and that's kind of the idea, to provide the materials and the opportunity to have a similar cannabis experience to if you were going to eat a 10 milligram gummy to kind of scale that back and start to create the kind of environment for our consumers to do that kind of internal research. And the one milligram, I also kind of find a great way to socially consume cannabis and edibles in particular, because for all the reasons we've listed, you know, it can be a bit unpredictable. And then the alternative is what? Just, okay, so you just, you know, how to provide an alternative to a social environment if you choose not to smoke or not to, you know, inhale. So having that platform for new consumers to be able to be introduced to our products and then kind of move their way up the scale so that, you know, we, we're, we're kind of holding their hand a little bit and saying, it's totally cool. You want to try one milligram and see where you're going? That We encourage that in a lot of ways. And so again, this is a market, Colorado is a, a tough market to introduce a product like this. But again, coming back to this, there's 73% of this country that is still learning and growing and the opportunities for that new consumer, you know, that's where that innovation often leads us. So kind of coming back to, some of our pillars of innovation. Microdose is a huge aspect of that. Minor cannabinoids, I think, are just this, you know, create this beautiful menagerie of, you know, efficacy that that really elevates THC, but can stand alone from THC. Fast acting, 
you know, this is one where you're just scratching the surface. It's the tricky one, you know, because there are a number of different technologies out there. We're not inventing fast acting. Fast acting is a technology that's been used in the pharmaceutical and nutraceutical world, you know, for decades. And how do we apply it to cannabis when we don't really have access to a lot of the scientific testing necessary? And it's not just fast. I mean, any of these kind of claims that can get made it's challenging. And I would, I would say, you know, how do you strike that balance between, you know, really wanting to kind of, and this is again, we're, we're marketing, you know, it's really important. Something I like to remind myself of is the marketing cannot overtake the science. So it's really, really important that we're thoughtful with our words. You know, when we talk about fast acting, you know, we're talking about the science. We're talking about this is how these types of ingredients help support or this type of process helps support better bioavailability. But then continuing to remember, we're still learning about our bodies. We're still learning. Again, that phrase of we're building the plane while we're flying it or you know, the car while we're driving it. That's part of the innovation kind of road right now is we are building the, the innovation car while we're trying to drive it. It's exciting. But as someone that has spent a good amount of time in pastry and like science is the structure. I do this and I get this result. And that's not necessarily the case when it comes to, to cannabis, which sometimes I have to have an edible just to think about it. Quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. No, everything you're saying is so impactful to just help understand the reality that we're navigating, whether we're in the industry and people listening are like, oh, yep, I know exactly what she's talking about. Like, I feel it in my bones. I'm going through the same motions or someone who's like, oh, I want to get into cannabis. It's like, again, these are those things that I wish there was a crash course, which I guess this is kind of one of those, you know, resources, which is really trying to help people I never want to scare people. I just really want them to be operating in reality, right? And I do think reality changes based on geographically where you're operating, also what kind of license you have. So what is your business structure? So like obviously retail is much different dynamic than actually cultivating. It's different dynamic than manufacturing and making these products. All, you know, different aspects of risk, but all, you know, kind of of navigating something a little bit more uniquely. But What I wanted to kind of, you know, touch on a little bit more with you on that vein is on the science side of things, you're talking about, you know, we're building the cars, we're driving it. There isn't really a a aha or this is factual. And I say that also acknowledging like science is meant to be explicit in some regards, right? It's like yes or no. But where I think there is a little bit of murkiness and I'm curious how you approach it, you're talking about minor cannabinoids. I, of course, know a lot about minor cannabinoids because that's pretty much the only market that I play in. But with that said, there are minor cannabinoids that we just don't know the longevity of. We don't know. You know, I think one of the things that comes to mind is, for example, we're talking about, you know, potentially overdosing at 10 milligrams versus one milligram. Like, what is a dose? What is a serving? Who decided that? When you're looking at the legislation on 0.3% Delta 9 THC, it's like, who decided that? Why was that the percentage? Like, where do we get some of these numbers from? And I think as an industry, 
I love obviously having these conversations and dissecting things because I, I don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm not here to say this is explicit truth or not, but how do we get to some of these numbers? And so when you're bringing up these new cannabinoids, a question that my team and, and even my fiance, who's a little bit on the cultivation side comes up with, he's like, you know, how do we know you're not going to overdose on 10 milligrams of CBN versus, you know, one milligram of CBN? Like that to me is a different cannabinoid. Similarly to CBD, I tell customers all the time, always start low with milligrams for both cannabinoids. But yeah, you probably will feel five milligrams of THC. You probably will feel five milligrams of CBD if it's your first time. But if you're looking for, you know, more benefits, you probably have to take and it's just so interesting to understand why we decide those are certain limits or parameters, if that makes sense. And so then kind of circling back to your products with one milligram, I'm looking at, you know, one milligram of THC to one milligram of CBN. I just am curious kind of like how you navigate if you have a team, resources, like how, how do you decide like, okay, it's one milligram of CBN versus other products I see are obviously five milligrams or 10. It seems like sometimes we're pulling things out of a bag and nobody really understands. And then the other point I wanted to make, because I have it in front of me, you know, and I think I ate this one yesterday, if I'm being honest, it was a one milligram THCV, 10 milligram CBD and 0.1 milligram THC. These are your raspberry lift, healthy body fruit notes, which everything for everybody, you know, they taste delicious. So Lauren and her team obviously know how to make delicious tasting edibles, but also from an effect perspective, like obviously THCV, I know what that's going to do to me. I know what THC, these cannabinoids. So I didn't feel high, which is good. That wasn't the point to take a THCV gummy. But again, getting into some of these numbers, I'm just curious how you start navigating it. Again, not that there's a right or wrong way, but just from a curiosity of like, yep, we're going to try one milligram and see how we feel. And we're going to try two and see how we feel. And just kind of giving some, I guess, parameters for how you and your team navigate playing with these minor cannabinoids and these doses from your perspective? Well, really, really great and important question. So I think the minor cannabinoid phenomenon that has happened in the past, you know, three or four years has helped a lot of that ability to do ongoing research. You know, THC really complicates things, you know, from just an internal perspective, from a regulatory one. So you know, being able to tap into two experts in the field of minor cannabinoids, and I'll kind of reference our, you know, supplier of many of our minor cannabinoids, you know, they are very science-based and I rely on their expertise in a lot of ways, in addition to our own, you know, trial and error. So yeah, there's definitely an, you know, an occupational hazard that can come with producing edibles where you have to, you know, allocate a certain portion of time to test the efficacy of your products. And you have to have a lot of friends that are willing to help too, because, you know, it can't be a data point of one. I'm sure your so, friends don't mind. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's actually, you know, helped me in a number of ways. Chocolate and cannabis, I mean, can't go They're wrong. like, tell me where I need to be, Lauren. I'm ready to taste that. Yeah, right, right. But sometimes that can be annoying because it's like, okay, no, you can't smoke a joint. You can't, you know, can't have a glass of wine. You can't do anything. It's just... This right. You want to get the full experience, which just to kind of interject on that point, I think that is such an interesting thought again, that I don't think I'm sure is practice, but it's obviously not discussed a lot. And we've had to navigate it, obviously, just like with our own product set. And we figured out a routine where, yeah, I can't consume anything else. I personally like to let my body flush out 24 hours of just nothing because it is difficult to detect sometimes nuances of certain cannabinoids because 
I've been on THC for, you know, 10 years pretty much straight and I, it's hard sometimes. So I just wanted to kind of call that point out. I understand that completely. And so, you know, when it comes to these minor cannabinoids, sometimes I feel that people think that they're this like other thing that exists, but no, no, it is inherent in the plant. Some strains obviously have higher percentages of CBN. I mean, and CBN is just a hilarious cannabinoid to me because, you know, historically it was, you know, it's old weed. So we're now taking something that used to kind of be one thing and now products with CBN, I mean, they're, they are the top selling products in the Colorado market right now. Number one, and are taking like number one positions in, you know, people's brand share. So CBN has, I mean, CBN is the new, you know, CBD in a lot of ways. So realizing that this is not something that we invented or that we're pulling from some lab, this is inherent in the plant. So, you know, we can rely on experts and studies, but in my experience, it's just looking at what we already know from smoking it, from what is already inherent in this incredibly powerful plant to kind of pull on from an experiential standpoint. And THCV is another one. You know, it is really prevalent in some strains, you know, Durban poison being one, where when I spoke to people that that consume Durban poison, especially folks that have been consuming it for years. So probably, you know, 10 years ago, Durban poison was a little bit different than what we're experiencing today. But it was smoking Durban poison wasn't to get high. It was really to kind of have a, a bit of an elevated experience, you know, a bit more energy, a bit more focus. People often would consume it in the morning. So cannabis has already been part of people's rituals and part of people's kind of efforts to, to kind of supplement their needs throughout the day. I'm sitting here, you know, drinking a cup of coffee, you know, and imagine if we could replace someone's cup of coffee with a THCV gummy and get the same kind of energy level without the much more kind of jitteriness that can come with caffeine, as well as THCV being helpful in kind of preventing some of that ancillary hunger, so to speak, you know, where we talk about people getting the munchies and not everybody has that, but, you know, it can help block some of the receptors, specifically the CB1 receptor that can lead us to being more hungry, which can be super beneficial with other strains. You know, it's a a give or take. I mean, again, or just use cases. Some people are looking to stimulate their appetite and some people are looking to obviously suppress their appetite. So exactly. And then, so in a lot of ways, THCV and THC are kind of antagonists to each other in a lot of ways, because one in larger amounts can do one thing and another in larger amounts can do something else. So really wanting this product, our new Raspberry Lift, and very soon we're going to be coming out with a, a different ratio of THCV to kind of focus a little bit more on that uplifting side, the more energy side. But this is a product that we're now introducing in dispensaries that has one milligram of THC in the entire pack. And that when you say that sometimes to, you know, a bud tender, you know, you just see this kind of look of, I bet. (laughs) Wait, what? So this is kind of part of this road to innovation where we're going to start to really contradict what, you know, same way we were contradicting seven years ago. Now we're really starting to say it's not just about the THC. This plant is inherently this holistic, you know, approach to wellness in a lot of ways. You know, it's not just about getting high anymore. And that's where, you know, still so much excitement about how it is that cannabis is going to be integrated into people's everyday lives in so many different configurations. And so 
introducing a product that is not meant to have a psychoactive effect. It still benefits from, you know, some of the presence of THC, but having these minor cannabinoids be showcased as just as much of a healthful wellness benefits just as much as THC. So it's in a lot of ways with innovation comes contradiction and discomfort. And that's what I think we're embarking on now, both with microdosed and, you know, minocannabinoid heavy products. I think we're getting to a place where more and more people are learning and feeling comfortable experimenting. And this is in some ways kind of a statement piece for Colorado to kind of really start to push people in a different direction in such a mature market. And then it really sets the stage for the other, you know, 73% of the country that is is just getting to know their relationship with cannabis. Yeah, everything you're saying, I'm like, yes, keep going. It's so important for brands to start kind of questioning, which is kind of like where I'm trying to come from with my observation of these things. It's like, we should be questioning why a dose is this or what is the definition of microdose, form factors, insert all these other, you know, aspects of innovation. And so I was very intrigued to see that you did have products that were so granular in some of these ratios is probably the word I'll use of how you're, you know, formulating some of these cannabinoids. It is such an important, again, thing for us to, I think, the industry is so new that we all kind of like just fall in line with like, oh, this is what regulation says, or oh, this is like what these other brands are doing. It's been questioning and really trying to carve out and redefine. No, this is why I believe this and go test it out in the market. I mean, you're spot on with these data sets. Surely, you know, not everybody out there wants to get high. And so how do you start to introduce these other cannabinoids? I do believe hemp's legalization has opened up the floodgate for us to explore from a consumer perspective and obviously in benefiting then the overall marijuana industry of just, yeah, how do you experience cannabis at every interval or every, you know, point in your day? To me, the aha is, yeah, I love a 10 milligram gummy before bed, but me, you know, at eight in the morning, hell no. But I've been really loving THCV in the morning and maybe a whole microdose of THC. So that is so new, but also refreshing to start to see brands actually kind of like bucking the trend. And so kind of final question, a little bit on the marketing side, you mentioned it a little bit, you know, when you're talking to these bud tenders and they're kind of like, oh, what the hell is this? And how do I sell? And obviously knowing so much of your business, if you're operating in a regulated market, meaning marijuana versus hemp, which does allow you to be direct to consumer. I kind of know the song and dance. So the listeners understand it to some extent. You know, you have to sell through a dispensary. You can't really sell direct to consumer. You obviously can have marketing on your website, on social media, but you are really relying on these bud tenders to advocate and suggest your products based on what the consumer who is standing in front of them at, you know, the dispensary counter is asking for. How do you navigate that component when you are bringing up products like this to market where it is a little different. It's not, you know, the typical, hey, you know, everybody's making a live resin gummy and it's 10 milligrams. It's like, yes, and I have that, but also here's my microdose version. What is that conversation like? What is that kind of, you know, thought process like from your team to have those conversations and to find success introducing these products then into the marketplace? Also knowing the final note, you know, that I'm sure all the products in your portfolio are not in every dispensary that you're operating in. So. I think that also adds complexity, right? Where it's, hey, I've got these products. Are people, you know, bringing them into their stores? Are they not? How's that conversation going? Yeah, it's a great question and one that we're still trying to answer ourselves. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think one of the challenges or one of the kind of responsibilities we're putting on our consumer in a lot of ways is that we're asking them to go into a dispensary and ask for a specific product. When 
oftentimes people are going into dispensaries and asking the bud tender what kind of products they recommend. So it's education on two fronts. Obviously, you know, talking a lot more about those mitocannabinoids. You know, CBN, I think, you know, people go in and talk about, and like, I need help sleeping. And right. there's a really good formula for that. Folks are not going in and saying, I am looking for a cannabis product that helps me with energy and also helps to, you know, prevent the munchies. Like that's not really the kind of the dialogue. So with our butt tenders, you know, it is challenging because they are, you know, they're salesmen first and foremost, but they're also cannabis connoisseurs. And it's trying to present the product to our butt tender partners in a way that I think they can relate to. So number one, connecting THCV to the plant, first and foremost. That is where they can immediately create the connection to, okay, this is not some phenomenon. This is not some, you know, niche product. This is taking something inherent in a strain that I've probably smoked and bringing it into a, a different form factor, but really isolating some of those, those benefits. And then again, kind of plugging into cannabis culture, you know, saying, you know, this is something that can help prevent the munchies because that often is one of the adverse side effects that could cause a consumer to shy away from. So again, is this a product that we can integrate into someone's already, you know, well-established cannabis process where, you know, they can smoke a joint, pop an edible, and then, you know, an hour later have a THCV gummy that could really help kind of either A, bring them a little bit more energy and maybe prevent some of that, you know, post, post-consumption appetite needs. But it's just constantly being in, in the face of the bud tenders and talking to them about the products, talking to them about the benefits. Really, I mean, kind of making the connection again that these minor cannabinoids are going to be the future of how cannabis is curating the experiences that we are seeking to help. You know, there's kind of three main buckets, right? Sleep, pain, and anxiety. And when you kind of have those three buckets that you're kind of trying to, to fill, this THCV product isn't really kind of sitting in there. So how do we kind of communicate that this energy side of things is this other huge market, a sector of the market that I think people just don't know to ask for it? So it's, I don't think I'm giving you a, a concrete answer, except education, being in the space of the bud tender, really kind of a showing data, showing information, getting them samples, and then finding ways to reach out to our Customers and grasslands, I mean, could not say more positive things about not just them as, as a company, but their commitment to cannabis and every aspect of it from, you know, the legacy markets to the new consumer to the hemp side. They are just a huge asset to us in helping communicate our message. No, that was well said and understood completely. I think it is a loaded question in some regards, right? It's as a cannabis business, as cannabis marketers, you're really, unfortunately, I don't want to say like explicitly stuck using certain channels because others are off limits or limited and like you can't be creative and do things, but it's a little bit like this is how you get your products in dispensaries. It's like you have that one channel and there's limited ways of kind of how you go about it. I have a final question for you. I know we're almost at time, but before I get to it, you mentioned it and I was thinking it. So I wanted to just touch on it because I've heard a little bit of, you know, the insight into it. And I just want to kind of dispel some of it. Samples for, let's say, a, you know, dispensary. I'm familiar a little bit where I've been given products. Sometimes it is like, I can't give it to you. I have to sell it to you for a penny because of the way that the state sets up, obviously what's going in and out based on metric. 
how difficult or easy, maybe it's because just like a short, like, yep, it's super easy or that's exactly how it is. Answer, I don't need to be necessarily so long, but like, is that, is that a hard thing to like do sampling or is it relatively easy now considering it's been, you know, seven years you've been operating? I'm just curious because that is obviously helpful to be able to empower these people like, hey, just try the one milligram, you know, blend of, of this and just let us know how you feel. And obviously when they feel how the product works for them, they're more likely to recommend it. But how do you handle kind of the sampling and, and that component because of the states? Yeah, it's an important question. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, earlier in the industry, it's why sampling was, it was super valuable, but I, I would say there wasn't as much kind of competition, you know, sure. for lack of a way of saying it. And getting samples out, you know, it was, you know, had a, a couple different functions, obviously for people to try the products, to get them into the stores, but the sampling and getting it into the hands of the bud tenders, that's sometimes where we can get a little bit of a disconnect. Like we can send samples to the buyers, great. But how do we get it into the hands of the salesperson? Being able to speak from personal experience and say, this was my experience with this product. They can speak from firsthand information. So really, really trying to figure out creative ways to make sure that these products are going into not only the buyer's hands, but the bud tender's hands. I think I saw you hold up a little two-pack, which has a couple of different functionalities, but I think the biggest ones is giving people, you know, a reasonable sample amount to be able to try the product and make an assessment. So we we do, especially when we first launched a product, you know, really want to make sure we're allocating time, resources to sampling. But, you know, for me on the manufacturing side, sampling is pretty straightforward for marketing, but is really challenging on the R&D side. I mean, I really kind of struggle with the the kind of approach that some regulatory bodies have put in place to allow manufacturers to be able to sample their products, not just from an R&D standpoint, from just an overarching, you know, ongoing quality assurance. So huge opportunity for growth there, you know, Colorado, obviously, other markets, it is not easy to, because you're not, obviously, you're not sitting there consuming it while you're producing it, or even after you produce it, you've got to go through those same channels. And to this day, it is much more of a barrier than I think it should be given the maturity of the market. It's just such a tool that like any, every industry, like you go to the grocery store and they're sampling the chips before you buy it. And, you know, the alcohol vendors are out there sampling their drinks. I mean, even in the hemp space, we spend a considerable amount, I would say, of our marketing spend on samples, dispersing them at, you know, fitness events and different concerts and things like that. And so it's complex in and of itself to do that because obviously you're having to, I mean, some of these samples, like they're easier for you and just using your brain as, you know, obviously the example for our conversation today, but like, this is a, a black bag that you've put a sticker on versus like you had to go make a whole packaging for this one. Like this is its own custom packaging. So to make that investment, then also have like your hands kind of handcuffed as you're navigating it is to your point, you know, maybe you understood it in the first couple of years, it's like, okay, we're figuring things out. But now in 2022, to have it be such an issue. And again, it's something that, you know, I get to experience just by the nature of, you know, what I get to do in the industry, which is super fortunate to be the recipients of certain products from certain brands. So thank you always to everybody who makes it happen that I get to be a, a sample taster. But it's usually the like, hey, I can do this, but you got to, you know, pay the 10 cents and go through the dispensary and have it be handed that way versus like when I'm touring the manufacturing facility, they can't just hand me, you know, oh, here's a stack of gummies. Try our new gummies. It forces you into this formality. So I appreciate you sharing that. I was just curious because I can imagine it's 
helpful thing to have people sample your products, but how difficult it is to go execute it. Okay, so final question, because we're talking about innovation, and I always love to kind of think future forward because that's where we're going as an industry. So what is kind of, you know, on the horizon for you guys? You don't maybe have to be explicit, but I'm curious, you know, is it a new form factor? Is it leaning into maybe more topicals? Is it really exploring perhaps a new market? Obviously, you know, not maybe something as large as California, but something a little bit more emerging. I know that these, and I'm going to butcher, but a fruit de pâté, you said it so beautifully. So pâte de fruit, I'm just saying it with my Texas French accent. You're nailing it. Yeah, pâte de fruit. Those are a new product for you too. So how long ago did you launch these? Well, we launched the Fruit Notes in early 2019. Okay. And it's just been this year where we're starting to kind of really lean into the microdosed product. And again, just how do we create a product where the name of the product is also contributing to the expectation of the effect Mm. Uh, and not just, you know, the focus on the flavor. So that's kind of why you're seeing things like Strawberry Daydream. Oh, I love that. Light you know, creating a bit of a mental visual, which is, it's all sensory. You know, this is not, you're not just tasting, you're smelling. I talk about food as, you know, this unbelievable time machine that we have that can transport us to the future, transport us to the past. It's, you know, this great way of communicating and having the name really, you know, speaks to that. And on that note, I think I just lost what the question was. Uh, future, like what is kind of on the horizon for you guys? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's a good question, you know, because obviously we we have to think about what is going to happen in Colorado. And one really exciting thing that we're bringing out this fall is is actually a nod to our original product. We're bringing back our truffles, which I think, I don't think could come in a better time. I think we're all in need of a little good news, something more playful, fun, visually, you know, colorful. Those will be also five milligrams. We're having also adding 10 milligrams of CBD. Those will be fast acting. So kind of pulling from these kind of newer elements of innovation into what is definitely a legacy product for our brand. So those will be coming out in the fall and into the the winter as a limited edition and taking a bit of a new approach with that product to be really just constantly changing, constantly new flavors, like giving people, you know, newness in a really kind of mature market. And then, you know, again, expansion, you know, how, how do we continue to get Coda into a national brand? And so looking at markets, you know, like Illinois, Massachusetts, New Jersey, these markets that are still, you know, getting their sea legs, but offer great, great opportunity to introduce a lot of, you know, what we're known for, but getting these pillars of innovation from the ground up where, you know, that's what we're known for. So continuing to lean into microdose, minor cap cannabinoids, fast acting, and, you know, the number one reason people buy products, flavor. So, you know, just having that at the forefront. And I just have, you know, a, such immense respect for the cannabis culture and wanting to continue. And as I was saying earlier, this inclusiveness, the social aspect which all of our social, you know, interactions have pivoted in the past, you know, two or three years. How do we get people back into consuming in a social way that still is safe? And I I think microdose is a huge part of that to what we were saying earlier. I can have one or two and then one or two later and, you know, not be kind of buckling up on a roller coaster that I can't get off of. So really leaning into those aspects of innovation, not only for our newer customers, but continuing to find ways with our, you know, really loyal customers to keep giving them new and exciting products. And I think topicals is a great 
entry-level products that people are looking to not consume, but experience the topical benefits of cannabis, which are huge. You referenced earlier, you know, the benefits of cannabis as it relates to inflammation. You know, that that's internally as much as it is externally. So having cannabis be part of something that you consume, but then also something you can just kind of literally bathe yourself in, which is, I'm sure everyone's dream or people envision themselves, you know, diving into a pool of flour, but that's why we just put it in a little compact form. Me every day. I'm like, I'm going to go take a bath and like all this good stuff. No, it's so exciting to get to talk to you. Obviously, like I shared in the beginning, I've been familiar with your brand, a fan of your brand over the course of the past, you know, seven years and just such an opportunity for me to get to be able to sit down with business owners like yourself and just peel the curtain back a little bit and understand, you know, just the realities of operating a business and also celebrate the accomplishments that we're able to make in this industry that is just really establishing itself. And so I look forward to continuing to track your business and trying your products as you continue to release new things and also push the boundaries of what we think and know a dose or a serving to be. So you have a champion over here in me and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. So thanks for the time. I appreciate it, Shada. And a huge congratulations on your four-year anniversary. Thank you. I'm so impressed with what you're doing in a really you know, challenging state. So just thank you for being an advocate of our industry and yeah, just continue to get excited about what brilliant people like you are doing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com.